Welcome to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop, where you'll find the unique, the bizarre, and sometimes the haunted. Feel free to look around, peruse the items, and never fear. There's nothing here that bites. Hard, anyway. <laughs> ah, hello there. So delighted to see you return to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. I am your shopkeeper, Chris Baker, and today we've got a very interesting item indeed. If you'll follow me to this section of the shop, this is where we keep our implements of destruction when it comes to mythological creatures. Of course, history is wrought with various tales of vampires, and of course, vampires, be they real or myth, were still something that brought great fear, and those who dared to hunt these creatures of the night would usually have some form of kit full of the weapons that one would need to fight these unholy creatures. And of course, this section of the shop, we have an example and an array of artifacts, some for display, some even for purchase. But, the, oh, I see something has caught your eye. It is a bull whip. Although this whip has tasted the hide of no bull, for the lashes of this whip have fought off the denizens of the dark. And if you look on the handle, you may find a familiar family crest. And therein lies the essence of today's episode of Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. So let's pull out the mutoscope and take a look at the new Netflix season of Castlevania Nocturne. So Castlevania Nocturne was a an animated series that I was super stoked about because I loved the Castlevania animated series that they started off with. The four seasons uh, covering the adventures of Trevor Belmont and Alucard, Sifa and the rest. And of course, it is a that one was an adaptation of probably one of my favorite Castlevania games. Now I'm no foremost expert on Castlevania. I don't pretend to be because a lot of the later games that came along, I just never played because I kind of got out of gaming. But as a as a teen and into my into my early 20s, I like to play Nintendo, Sega Genesis, stuff like that. Once we got into PlayStation coming about, that's kind of where I, I started to fall off. But a, a good friend of mine played video games, so I'd watch him, and we both loved the Castlevania series. Of course, uh, I loved Castlevania 1, Castlevania 2, Simon's Quest, and of course, Castlevania 3, Dracula's Curse. Probably my favorite game that I played because I think that's the first introduction of Alucard into the Castlevania games. And I quickly became a huge fan of this character. And then, of course, uh, later installments of the game came along. Uh, Rondo of Blood, which is pretty important because it is part uh, or it is what this new season of Castlevania is based on. I kind of skipped over that. I don't remember that. And I know that came out before Symphony of the Night, which that's the one my friend had. And I remember watching him play that. And of course, it, it featured Alucard, which uh, I, I was just entranced by this character and just really fell in love with this character. But 
The original Castlevania animated series was primarily based on the events and more so the characters of Castlevania III, Dracula's Curse, and of course, four wonderful seasons. I just uh, absolutely loved that series of uh, animated adventures of all these characters, Trevor Belmont, like I said, Sifa, uh, Alucard. was a little disappointed they didn't involve the Grant Dynasty character. Uh, not my favorite character to play, although he was very integral in one part of the of the game. But uh, I was I was upset that they didn't even make a reference to him or have him show up as like a, just a, a background character or a side character that came and went. Uh, I was disappointed in that. But other than that, I uh, loved uh, the original four seasons of Castlevania. So when I found out that, you know, they had rounded out the story that they were telling with the Castlevania animated series, and I found out they were going to do a new series, essentially a new series, uh, a new story of Castlevania, and they were fast forwarding into the future i was really excited about where they were going to go with this because they could have done a couple things uh the first two castlevania games featured simon belmont and simon belmont is actually a descendant of trevor belmont uh castlevania 3 is uh, for all intents and purposes a prequel to the first two castlevania games so they could have done the Simon Belmont character, but they opted not to do that, which I found interesting because Simon is probably more the iconic character of Castlevania outside of Dracula, but they decided to fast forward a little bit further and do Rondo of Blood, which came out like right around... 1993 and that's the one that was just before uh, symphony of the night and as i said that was a game i was not really familiar with uh my friend never played it uh, if he did i wasn't aware of it i never really played that game so i wasn't terribly familiar with the richter belmont character so i went and did some research and read up on the game and and watched some gameplay and i thought oh this this is really cool i really uh, disappointed i missed out on this back in the 90s when it came out but I thought it was interesting that they went with the Richter Belmont character as the hero of this this new set of seasons of Castlevania with Castlevania Nocturne. Uh, but I was interested to, to see where it was going to go because, like I said, I didn't know much about the Richter character. So a lot of the story, I mean, the story is going to be fresh because it is loose adaptations of these games. A lot of similar characters, but they are applied in new and different ways and we especially see that with castlevania nocturne it wasn't going to be a familiar story to me regardless of whether i knew these characters or not because but because they were doing things uh, you know interesting stories that weren't necessarily a part of the video game and this first season of castlevania nocturne really was kind of your prototypical first season of a series because it really was an introduction to the characters an introduction to the the, the heroes and the villains an introduction to the stakes and where you're going to see this story go for however many seasons they do this i don't know if they have a planned set of of seasons that they're going to do this i know netflix has already greenlit a second season of castlevania nocturne which doesn't really surprise me although nothing surprises me with netflix they cancel really good shows without any rhyme or reason so it wouldn't have surprised me if they canceled this but i'm really glad they didn't and i figure they wouldn't because this 
really has a huge following. Uh, there's a lot of us that love Castlevania and, and love good uh, animation. And this is kind of the best of both worlds. But you really do have an excellent cast of characters. And usually I say this for the spoilery section. I'm not going to get too deep into the characters and too deep into the, the actors who play them. But I did really love this cast. So I am going to talk about that before we get into the spoiler section. But you have Richter Belmont, the hero of this. He's a 19-year-old vampire slayer from the long line of the Belmont family, played by Edward Blumel, who you may remember him as the Marcus Whitmore character from A Discovery of Witches. A fine actor who I was really, I really liked him in A Discovery of Witches. Uh, probably one of my favorite characters in that. And to see him show up in this just made me uh, enjoy the character all the more because I, I think he's a good actor and I can't wait to see him in more things. He's done several TV shows. He's done some uh, some short films. He did uh, one Netflix film last year called Persuasion, uh, but I'd like to see him in more. I, I really enjoy him as an actor, but he plays the Richter Belmont character. You have Tussaud Mbedu plays Annette, who is a character from the game. And that was one of the interesting things is there are levels in the game, and when you defeat a level, you rescue a maiden. And of course, the ultimate goal is to rescue Richter Belmont's love interest, Annette, from Dracula. And along the way, he rescues Maria Renard, who is a long-lost relative of his. He rescues Tara, and Iris, I think, is the other one who we we don't see in this adaptation, at least not yet, that I that I recall. I, unless I missed her, uh, I don't think she was in this, this adaptation. Like I said, right off the bat, but we could see her show up in next season. But you have these three characters that are, are a big part of the video game, at least from a damsels in distress that you have to rescue. And I like how they took these characters and really made them important players in the in the story and gave them a lot of agency. You have the Annette character who is also kind of a vampire hunter. She's a sorceress. Uh, she has not similar abilities, but you know, she's kind of like the Sifa type character, like from the last Castlevania series. But so Mbedu does a great job voicing her. Pixie Davies plays Maria and in the game, like I said, she's a long-lost relative of Richter in this. They play a little fast and loose with the Maria and Tara uh, characters because Tara is Maria's mother in this. And instead of being a nun, she... Well, we'll get into that in the spoilery section. But Richter is living with Tara and Maria. And like I said, you have the similar characters. They're just applied to the story in different ways. And of course, Natasha Kinski, she was in the 82 remake of Cat People, as well as a laundry list of other uh, movies that she's done. She plays Tara Renard. Pixie Davies plays Maria Renard. They both do a great job. Richard Dormer plays the, the Abbot. And I was like, why does he sound familiar? And then I realized he played Beric Dondarrion in Game of Thrones. And you'll have a lot of you know, much like the first four seasons of Castlevania, you have a ton of of actors who just sound familiar. Zon McLaren plays Olrox. He's an Aztec vampire. And of course, he's a wonderful actor. He's been in stuff like Bone Tomahawk, Doctor Sleep, Westworld, Hawkeye, tons of TV and movies. Sophie Skelton played Julia Belmont, Richter Belmont's mother at the, the beginning of the episode, the first episode. Of course, she plays... <laughs> 
And my wife pointed this out because I didn't know, but she plays what's her name and what's his name's daughter on Outlander. As you can tell, I don't watch that series. Ian Glenn has a cameo as as used Belmont, Julia's father, Richter's grandfather. A lot of a lot of Game of Thrones alum in this. And then one character that I am going to save for the spoiler section because it, it is kind of a maybe not a surprise because I heard this character is going to show up in, in Castlevania Nocturne. But uh, but if you don't know and you don't want to know, I am going to save that for the spoiler section. But all of that to say that there are a lot of really good voice actors and a lot of good just actors period uh, a part of this and and that's kind of what made the first four seasons of Castlevania so good because not only was it good storytelling not only was it good animation and I really think they upped their animation game in this uh, there were some really beautiful shots that just it looked like a painting and not like something you would see and an animated series about killing vampires. But the animation was beautiful and the acting was really good. And I think that's what made those first four seasons of Castlevania so compelling and so enjoyable. And they've really continued the trend with Castlevania Nocturne. And that is why I think it got a second season. I think that's why the first season was was so good is because they had such wonderful actors. So uh, I'm not going to beat around the bush anymore. I want to get into some spoilers and, and really talk about this this season. So if you haven't watched Castlevania Nocturne, go watch it on Netflix. Every time I think that there are less and less things that I want to watch on Netflix and I'm tired of their shit and I'm tired of the nonsense and I'm going to get rid of Netflix. They just keep enough shows around that I really am interested in watching like Stranger Things and The Witcher, even though The Witcher is going to be different with a new... Geralt, uh, I still am interested in it, and and Castlevania. They have shows like that 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 still intrigue me, or and still, you know, still good genre shows that that keep me around. But uh, go watch it on Netflix, and then come back and hear my thoughts on Castlevania Nocturne. And if you have watched it, or you don't care one way or the other, you didn't have any interest in it, but you still might like to hear what it's about. I'm not going to give it to you beat by beat and play by play, but. But we are going to talk about it, and there are going to be lots of spoilers. So from here on out, we are heading into spoiler territory. So Castlevania Nocturne takes a place about uh, 400 some years from the time of the original Castlevania series. Uh, this has taken place in 1792. It's during the French Revolution, and you've got this young vampire hunter, Richter Belmont, and his adoptive sister, Maria Renard. They're kind of caught up in the whole French Revolution. She's a revolutionary. He's just there to kind of protect her, and all he cares about is killing vampires. And they really make a comparison between the vampires and the old guard and the rich and they tie the two together uh, because in this world even if you're not a vampire and you're wealthy the vampires in this world are kind of at the behest of the wealthy the vampires and the wealthy have this agreement of convenience that uh, they both leave each other alone and share in the wealth while they subjugate and feed on the poor figuratively and literally and that was one of the things that i mean I appreciated it that they were kind of tying in the vampires with the rich old guard. That was interesting. It's when they brought the religious aspect into it. 
the revolutionaries were all down with the church and down with Christianity and down with God and belief in God. And it kind of just painted uh, rich people and people of faith and the church all in very broad strokes as being the bad guys. If you're rich and you believe in God, you're a bad guy. If you're poor and you don't believe in God, you're the good guy in this. And, and I think there's probably a little more nuance to it than that. And, and it may develop some nuance as the series goes on. But as, as a person of faith, I, I just think that's kind of like, that's that's how demonization starts. And that's where people get the notion that, well, if you believe in God, you're, you're not the revolutionary. I'm the forward thinker. I don't believe in God. And and that's how things get dangerous is when you start painting with broad strokes like that. Now, that's how it, it plays out in this series. But then when it comes to defeating vampires, crosses, and, and all of that still work. So it's not to say that God doesn't exist and the, the church doesn't have power over evil. It, it's very complicated. It, it set up a very complicated facet of this story that I'm interested to see how it plays out. I, I, I don't want to comment on it too much just because of the fact that we've just seen the tip of the iceberg and, and it may play out different. But, uh, but I will be interested to see how the narrative of the faith plays out in this. And they even go into the fact that the, the church has its problems. The, the abbot played by Richard Dormer. He's supposed to be a man of faith and supposed to protect the people, but he goes in league with the vampires and he becomes a, essentially a forge master, like in the first four seasons of Castlevania. Uh, he's got this machine that does it as opposed to an actual... Uh, tool that he forges his night creatures but even beyond that even beyond the hypocrisy of of working in league with the devil essentially with vampires he also had an affair with tara and is maria's father and that was an interesting twist that uh i didn't see coming and it, i thought it kind of played into the fact that in the the game Rondo of Blood, that Tara is a nun, and well, she isn't a nun in this. She she banged a priest, so that kinda I don't know. I don't know where the the lines I'm trying to draw, but I feel like there's some sort of connection there or loose interpretation, very loose. But the bulk of this story is really about Richter. Uh, I, I like the the way we start out because he's in Boston with his mother. Uh, there's this vampire, Olrox, who's chasing them as they're about to leave for, for France. Olrox has this encounter with them. And uh, it, it's one of those classic stories where the, the parent or the adult tells the kid to stay out of it. But the kid doesn't stay out of it. And it costs the adult their life. It's like Optimus Prime. Megatron and Rodimus Prime in the Transformers movie. Rodimus Prime was told to stay out of it, but he couldn't stop mixing in. And Optimus Prime ends up getting killed as a result of it. Uh, probably not the first time that has ever happened in the movie, but that is probably the most obvious uh, example that I can come up with. But Julia Belmont dies. This traumatizes Richter. And it's kind of implied in this season and maybe even through some of the the other games and some of the family trees that because Trevor Belmont married Sifa 
and she is a sorceress. He is a vampire hunter, uh, vampire slayer, that their descendants after them were both vampire slayers and had the use of some forms of magic. And because of this incident where his mother died, uh, Richter, and I think it was because he was trying to use magic against Ulrox, uh, that he kind of has some mental block and he's a great vampire slayer, uh, but he is blocked off from magic. And it is not a huge story plot point where he's trying to get his magic back, but ultimately... Uh, being the best version of himself, the best hope that they have facing off against these evil vampires is for him to be at full form, and that is to be a full magic user as well as being good with the whip and good with the sword and the knives and all that jazz. And while they didn't really focus on him trying to get his magic back, they kind of have one scene where he meets uh, used, uh, played by Ian Glenn, Sir Friendzone from Game of Thrones, and they have a meeting and he gets his magic back quite quickly and quite conveniently. Uh, I know they played it into the he had to, he knew what he was fighting for at that moment, Maria and Tara, and that's how he got his powers back. That's how it unblocked him because his mother, somebody he loved, died while he was using magic. And that probably started the block. Now he needs that magic to protect the two other people that he loves, Tara and Maria. Another interesting storyline in this was the Annette storyline. Because these two characters, Annette and Edouard, come into the story. Of course, Annette played by Tissot Mbedu. Edouard played by Sidney James Harcourt. And I thought theirs was an interesting story because they come from the French Caribbean. And... This is where the story doubles down on the slavery aspect. That was a huge theme in this season. Not only the slavery that is kind of implied where the rich subjugate the poor, you also had the slavery of the Forge Master creating these night creatures uh, out of dead people that are subservient to them. You have the vampires wanting to subjugate humanity to, to essentially make humanity its slave, whether it be to, to toil in the fields or to be there purely for their own nourishment. But with the Annette and Edouard's storyline they they brought actual slavery into the story because annette was a former slave because she lived on a plantation with her mother uh the plantation master was a vampire uh they were magic users and he he didn't want anyone using magic and led to her her mother's death and her escape her meeting up with Edouard, who was an opera singer. I can't remember if they said he was a former slave or not, but I really like these characters. I like the uh, not forced romance between Annette and Richter. Uh, I know their love interests in the game, Rondo of Blood, and I think that is where they will probably head with this story, is them uh, being love interests. But I, I like how they didn't just force a relationship right away. They're actually going to build a relationship. And that's what I want to see. I want to see character development and story development. I don't want things to be fast and convenient. And so I, I'm looking forward to seeing how the relationship between Annette and Richter develops over the next season and hopefully more seasons to come after the next season. But the one thing that was really shocking was the fact that they killed off Edouard 
And, and not only killed him off, but made him a night creature. That was unexpected. And the night creature they turned him into is very interesting. The the design on it with the hands over the face and the eyes peeking out in between the, the fingers uh, was was really cool. I, I liked that. And it was it was interesting. But I found it interesting why they made him so resistant to the control of the Forge Master. Uh, they never really explain why he's so resistant to the Forge Master. And maybe it is because of his history with slavery. I don't know. But I, I was interested in the fact that they used his, because he's a, an opera singer, they used his singing as a way to almost lull night creatures out of their subservience to the Forge Master and almost a way of liberating them from the Forge Master so they could be their own entity, their own creature. And that plays well into the slavery thing because the, what is slavery but taking somebody's will and freedom away from them? And that's essentially what is going on with these night creatures. Their will and their freedom is taken away from them and they're subservient to these Forge Masters. And I think it's it's a great less on-the-nose version of slavery that that just kind of doubles down on this theme that you see over and over again throughout this season and i'm sure throughout the the rest of the series however many seasons that may be i was also interested in this whole notion of a messiah a vampire messiah which was talked about throughout the the bulk of this but we didn't really get a good look at her until we got close to the end, maybe like the last couple episodes. Of course, the vampire messiah is Erzabet, played by Franca Potent. Uh, I'm probably butchering that name, and I do apologize. But it was an interesting idea that she's an ancient vampire who drank the blood of the Egyptian god Sekhmet and now is like part vampire, part god. Her second-in-command, Drolta, uh, played by Valerica Johnson, uh, was very interesting, a very formidable second-in-command. Uh, you get a lot of menace out of both of these characters, and I like the Drolta character when she kind of fully turns into her vampire form. It's it's more of the... It, it's very demonic looking. Get the wings, big bat wings, and the tail, and the fiery hair. It, it was very cool. I like how they play with some of these, like, kind of uh, middle ground bad guys that uh, they, they have a lot of nuance to them, like the Abbott character, played by Richard Dormer. Uh, I like how he's he's kind of painted as a bad guy. Of course, he's a member of the church, so he's automatically painted as a bad guy, but he's also a forge master and he is acting subservient to these vampires. He may have ulterior motives to, to be against them eventually, but uh, but he is kind of a, a middle ground bad guy. And I like the idea that, you know, he he could have a face turn in this sooner or later. I think we might see a redemption arc for this character. Uh, the other character I thought uh, is really interesting is the Ulrochs because he essentially does turn on the vampire messiah Erzbet and helps out Richter and and our heroes. Doesn't mean he's a 
full good guy. It's more of, I think, the enemy of my enemy is my friend sort of situation. But I think we might get more of a redemption arc for that character because Richter still hates his guts for killing his mother, and rightfully so. And probably the one thing I loved more than anything is that at the end of this, you have like a lot of our main characters and the Terra character making the sacrifice because Erzabeth, Trolta, and, and the vampires were going to sacrifice Maria by turning her into a vampire. And Terra sacrifices herself, allowing herself to be turned into a vampire to save her daughter. The abbot being unwillingly complicit in this to save his daughter. Uh, it, it was heartbreaking and it was gut-wrenching to watch that whole scene play out. But you have Richter, you have Annette and Maria and another character, Mizik, uh, who didn't really get to talk much about. He was the abbot's kind of right-hand man, Ulrox's lover, played by Aaron Neal. But he sees what the abbot's doing is wrong, working with the vampires and and turns to the good guy's side. And I think that's part of why Ulrox has has started helping out our heroes in this, but they're all kind of on the run and they have Drolta on their tail and she uh, catches up with them and goes to attack and out of the blue, you see her head chopped off. They do this really kind of cool, almost slow motion freeze frame. It's like the, the frame is frozen, but there's just a little bit of motion there and you see it pan out to this this scene and this shot of Alucard with his sword running through her neck and it just I knew he was going to be back this season because I had heard talk about how uh, Jamie Callis who who plays uh, Adrian Tepes uh, Alucard I, I knew he was coming back for this season and it makes sense because even though this is 400 plus years into the future Alucard is a vampire so he would live that long and it was so cool such a like a knight in shining armor moment uh where he comes in to save the day at the last second probably my favorite character in the castlevania franchise and uh, as as many i'm sure and to see him show up and save the day and declare that he is part of the team and that he is going to help them. It just makes me excited for season two of Castlevania Nocturne. But it really makes me wonder where they're going to go with this in a second season and, and multiple seasons to come. Hopefully we get at least, you know, I know that the last Castlevania series was four seasons long. Uh, I would hope we're at least going to get three out of this. Maybe four. Who who knows? Depends on how much story they have that they want to tell. But uh, I'm interested to see where they're going with this. Because the one thing in a lot of, if not all of the Castlevania games that I know of. I'll, I'll put it that way. All the Castlevania games I'm familiar with. Dracula has always been the bad guy. Dracula always comes back. And in this one, Dracula is not talked about. I mean, he's referenced... And then I think somebody says, who's Dracula? Because he's allegedly been dead for who, who knows how many hundreds of years. Uh, depends on what they're doing with a Simon Belmont story that hopefully will get somewhere along the way, which would have taken place in between the, the first Castlevania series and Castlevania Nocturne. But Dracula is not a part of this. Now, I almost wonder with Alucard being brought into this if we might not see 
Dracula being the big bad guy when it's all said and done. Because right now it's just the Erzabet character. She's this vampire messiah who's going to lead the vampires to take over the world and subjugate humanity. That sort of thing. Typical vampire stuff. But is she the big bad guy? Is she the one pulling the strings behind the scenes? I I don't know. I I think... It might not be out of the question or out of the realm of possibility that Dracula may show up later on in this story as maybe the ones pulling the strings behind her. Like I said, the addition of Alucard into the story makes me really wonder if that might not be the case. And the fact that in Rondo of Blood, it is Dracula. He is the big bad guy. There's, you know, you don't get all the extra story stuff about vampire messiahs and all that in that. But from a gameplay standpoint, the bad guy is Dracula. So I half wonder if maybe he doesn't make a return at some point along the way in this. But it remains to be seen. And even if they don't, I think I still enjoy this. I think I still like the idea of this vampire messiah, this this vampire who drank the blood of a god and has the, the powers of, of one. I, I don't know. I, I guess it all depends on how they play this out and how they treat this character. I don't want it to get too much in the weeds of that and all that implies, but it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. But ultimately, from a storytelling standpoint, this was a lot of introduction. And you really don't get into the action of this main vampire villain that comes in. You hear rumors about it, and then she shows up late. And so you don't even get the full season of your main bad guy being a main antagonist. But it was a lot of setup and a lot of setting the table and setting the board for the story to come, which I think is where business is really going to pick up once we get into that season. The the vampire messiah, Erzabet, is out there and she is a fully fleshed out character with all the agency in the world. And we're going to see our heroes battling this entity a lot more. The stakes are going to be raised for every episode because we know who our main villain is, or at least to this point, who our main villain is. So from a storytelling standpoint, this really is just kind of an introductory season. Uh, Introduce us to all the characters, uh, all the players in the game, uh, the rules of the game, uh, the end game for the game. And I think the next season and whatever season or seasons come after that is where we're really going to get into the nitty gritty and really dig into the story and, and a lot of the lore and dig into a lot of these characters. And I'm really excited about that because not only was it really good from a story standpoint, even though, like I said, this was really just introductory, the characters were interesting. Uh, the voice actors were were fantastic. And from an animation standpoint, I mean, they really set the bar high with the first Castlevania series. And I think they, they met that bar if not maybe exceeded it a little bit because like I said there were some of those like establishing shots that looked like a painting there were some beautiful establishing shots of countryside and and, and ponds and flowers and things that were just uh, gorgeous to look at and I look forward to to seeing that animation while, while it's still good uh, get better and better with each season as well another thing I really liked about this is that they had a lot of continuity 
with the episodes because the episodes all directed by Sam and Adam Dietz. The episodes were written mainly by Clive Bradley. He wrote all the episodes except for three of them. Out of the eight episodes, he wrote five of them and they had uh, three different writers write the other three episodes. So you had a lot of continuity in the writing and the storytelling, which I think is really important for any series let alone uh, an animated series like this. And from everything I've seen, there's a, there's been a ton of really good reviews about this season. And I can't say that mine would be any different because I really enjoyed this season. I have to say I enjoyed it as much as the original Castlevania because uh, they had great storytelling with new characters uh, and one returning character, Alucard. It probably doesn't hurt that Alucard's going to be a part of this. But but even still, even though it was a new set of characters, it was a new story, I still found myself engrossed in it just as much as I was as the first four seasons of Castlevania and looking forward to seeing where these characters go. And enjoying this so much, just one season into Castlevania Nocturne, I'm really excited to see where they go after that. I really think at some point they need to do uh, the Simon Belmont story. And, I mean, that would be going back in the timeline, but they jumped uh, a few hundred years forward in the timeline to tell this story. So I don't think you have to really adhere to any sorts of timelines when it comes to, to what stories you can tell with Castlevania. But I really hope the uh, Simon Belmont uh, stories are somewhere down the road after they finish up with Castlevania Nocturne. And I think that's one of the beauties of this Castlevania series, whether it is the first four seasons of Castlevania, whether it is Castlevania Nocturne. It's so good that you're just... You're constantly looking down the road. I mean, you're enjoying what you have while you have it. And I can't wait for that second season of Nocturne to come out. But I just, I can't wait to see where this ride keeps going. And because I do love this series so much. I do love the video games. At least the first few that I, I got to be a part of back in the 90s and enjoyed. Makes me wish I was more of a gamer now. That I could go back and play some of the other games that came later down the road. But, uh maybe one day. So I want to thank everyone for listening to my thoughts on Castlevania Nocturne, the animated series on Netflix. Uh, check it out if you haven't. Uh, and if you have, hopefully you enjoyed it as much as I did. I, I can't imagine anyone enjoying it more than I did because I really love this series uh, all in and of itself. And, and even beyond the Simon Belmont stuff, uh, Castlevania Symphony of the Night, I would like to get a standalone Alucard story for a few seasons somewhere down the road let's just enjoy castlevania nocturne while we've got it though but thanks everyone for listening to my thoughts on castlevania nocturne check it out on netflix and check out more that's going on with odds bodkins curiosity shop on our social media pages uh, facebook and instagram for everything that's going on with horror fantasy and science fiction no matter where you listen to this podcast follow it like it subscribe to it whatever your podcast platform of choice calls it do that that way you can stay on top of all the new episodes because at this time of year we've got not only our monday and tuesday episodes but we've got a lot of bonus episodes because there's just so much content this time of year especially with horror but uh, when you get all the horror you get around october uh, on top of some of the fantasy and sci-fi stuff there's just a lot to talk about so we're always putting out our regular episodes but a lot of bonus episodes 
and a few tricks and treats along the way. I think we've got some things uh, that we're hopefully going to be doing here in the not too distant future uh, as a part of, you know, Halloween and the month of October. So a lot to do, a lot to talk about, and you need to stay on top of it by subscribing to this podcast wherever you listen to it. And no matter what you do, Please share this podcast with anyone that you know that loves horror, fantasy, and science fiction. And as always, leave those reviews. They help uh, immensely with the algorithms and letting these podcast platforms know that, hey, you need to promote this to other people that might like this stuff too. So until next time. Thank you for visiting Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. We hope that you found something to your liking and visit the shop again soon. But even though you may come back, you never really get to leave Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. Ha 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 ha!